Listener Production. Hello, Antoinette Latouf here with the Weekend Briefing. So the glow of the beauty industry has proved pretty hard to resist. It's attracting loads of new companies and investors, and globally, it is worth a whopping $430 billion, and that's in profit. So historically, big brands not only pocketed the vast majority of this, they also had a lot of influence over trends and consumer behaviours. But that was before the advent of beauty influencers. And one such influencer is Rowie Singh. She has 600,000 followers on social media. And young influencers like Rowie are not only adding their personal touch and brush over makeup trends, but also impacting beauty standards and ethics. I'll get into all of that with Rowie, who is just fantastic, so eloquent, so articulate and so darn impressive and artistic. And later in the show, we've loved hearing your recommendations for the weekend list. That is where we talk about what to watch, see, do, eat, listen to and everything in between. And we'll be sharing your tips as well as some of ours. But first, here's my chat with Rowie Singh. Rowie, thanks for joining the Weekend Briefing. So you're in your late 20s. So beauty influencer wasn't a thing when you were asked to get up in front of your class in primary school and tell everybody what you wanted to do and be. So I'm curious as to what your career aspirations were back then. I think I didn't want to tell anybody. Like, I didn't want to say it out loud, but I wanted to be some sort of famous I didn't know what that was. Right. I think I wanted to be an actress, which is why I went down like the drama um, route and I did that in high school and I continued that into uni. So I thought that that's what I wanted to do, but because it didn't exist yet, I couldn't really put my finger on what that was. I didn't necessarily Mm. want to be an actress or a singer, but I knew that I had like a skill set, like a creative skill set that I wanted to showcase. So it was kind of like, oh, when someone asked me that question, I think it was more a lie that I had to put forth. Like, oh yeah, maybe I'd want to be a doctor because that was some... You I did never, say that. Yeah. Because that's what's kind of ex- expected. Expected, 100%. It was like something, you know, like impressive and that like was deemed successful would come to mind. I'd be like, yeah, a doctor, but I had no idea. I had no idea. And I didn't want to tell people what I actually wanted to be because I didn't want people to be like, oh, that's silly. Especially for ethnic families, like ethnic parents oh, yeah. and the communities about what you want to be. And a, a good friend of mine um, who's also South Asian said, you know, it was, we had three options, doctor, lawyer or shame to the family. Oh my goodness. I'm stealing <laughs> that. I love that. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, exactly. Well, that's exactly what it was. I didn't really want to say, yeah, I didn't want to say it out loud. And because I knew that I'd get pushback or questions, not just from like friends or like even at school, I mm. went to a quite a strict like private girls school. And again, the career options when we had like career counseling was like, all right, so here are the five options. Mm. I was like, what if I don't want to do something within like those boundaries and I think I started to lean towards marketing like that made sense to me because it sounded creative Mm. and it was very like business forward so I started there and then kind of like worked my way into this world that we've basically created in the last like 10 years. So you went to university Mm. and you studied art and at one point I understand you were considering like fashion and design. What happened? How did the pivot happen into makeup? It was like it was an economical thing. (laughs) fully like I went into makeup because I could buy one palette and create 50 looks from that one palette 
And then I really did want to do fashion. Like I wanted to um, yeah, showcase like fashion, but I just didn't have any money. I was just mm. a broke uni student. I didn't have a full wardrobe. I didn't really know where to start there for for me, beauty made sense. It felt like a playground. Like when I looked at like colors of like eyeshadows and eyeliners, I felt like I could like dip my hands in that really easily. And I liked how like transformative it was. I like anytime I put on a look and took it off and put on a different look, I felt like I became a different person. And I liked that feeling. It was like exhilarating and exciting. So just so I understand, were you just putting the makeup on yourself yeah. and showcasing it, not going out and doing people's makeup for weddings? And No, I wasn't. It was literally just my, my creative outlet. It was like my medium to be creative. I never actually did it on other people because I think that's where I would lose my creativity. I would play on other people and you know, but not not in like a professional sense or, yeah, in like an event sense because, yeah, it was just my little fun playground. That's it. So you've got a palette. You can create 50 different looks, as you say. How did you go from having a bit of a play and enjoying it to it becoming a source of income? And I'm I'm interested in what that That, kind of time period looked like. Yeah. I think my... It was just documenting the play. Mm. Like I would have fun and experiment with like beauty looks and I'd just like swatch colours on my eyes and it wouldn't even be that good. Like looking back, I'm like, that's not, that wasn't really a look at all, but it was fun to me and I would just post it online. And I remember festival culture and festival season in like 2014, 2015 was such a big deal. Like everyone was in their like boho era Mm. and I would create these like festival inspired looks that had like a bit of like um, of an Indian touch to them. And I think people found that really cool because it was like this interesting like melding of like Western culture, festival fashion and my own culture. And so I started to get traction. I remember getting like my first 1,000 likes. And I was like, oh, I think people like this. And it just became a thing where I posted more often. And if I liked a brand, because I saw like other influencers working with brands, if I liked the brand, I would just reach out to them and be like, hey, could I borrow, could I use a pair of sunnies for a shoot? Can I borrow like this clothing piece? Would you mind sending me X, Y, Z for a look? And it's just started to build from there. I didn't actually get paid like three or four years into this because it just wasn't a thing at all. I think mm. the, my first collaboration, I got paid 50 bucks. And I was like, cool. <laughs> that'll buy me, what a, that'll get you like a bronzer in Sephora. Literally half a bronzer. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't get paid for three years. And then at what point were you making enough for that to be your full-time job? Yeah, so I am very big on security. Like I'm not going to dive headfirst into something until I know that it's lucrative and I know that I can like hold myself up. So I was working like a corporate nine to five in media because that's, again, that's what I thought I needed to do. And, um, you know, I went to uni for four years. I'm not going to waste that. So, and I really enjoyed that job as well. It was in social media. It was almost like the back end of what I'm Mm. doing now. So I did understand it um, very well, like on like a ground level. But I got signed to an agency and I was like, oh, interesting, like, I wonder what this will bring. And when I got signed to this agency, I started to get these opportunities that were like, you know, you need to create this content midweek. And I'm at work. Mm. I'm working a nine to five and there's an event on a Wednesday lunch. And I'd be like, yeah, just popping out, just going to have my lunch. And I would literally go to this event, take all this content and then come back like nothing ever happened. So I was stretching myself and I was like, at what point am I going to have to choose? Because I can't do both. I can't lie to my work. Um, And I think I just made the decision when my income per week was almost matching the income that I was making in my corporate job. It was like almost there. I was like, I think we can get, if I put my all into this, I think we can get there. And 
best decision I ever made, scariest decision, but mm. like the best. And your heritage plays a significant role in your makeup. Tell me about that. I think when I was young, I moved around a lot. Like I lived in the States, I lived in Singapore. Um, my parents did what they could to help me assimilate and just blend in and, mm. you know, just have a really normal high school experience despite all the moving around. And so I think that really detached me from my culture. I was never taught. And it's like, it's not my parents' fault. They they were just doing their best to help me fit in in like a Western, like society and Western mm-hmm. culture. I just detached from like who I was as like a brown woman, a Punjabi woman. I couldn't can't speak the language. I can only understand bits and bobs here and there. Um, we weren't very religious. I yeah, didn't have that like closeness to my culture and identity. I think once I got came out of school and I had this like period that we all do of like almost self rediscovery. I was yeah. like, okay, wait, who am I? And what, like, I want to learn more about my culture because I think it's incredibly cool. And once I started to like, yeah, I guess learn more about who I was, where I come from, where my grandparents are from, it started to just like all the pieces kind of just like fell in the right place. And I was like, this is beautiful. Like I'm really proud of mm. where I'm from. And it's so wild that I suppressed that part of me for so long. Like little things like bringing an Indian lunch to school was embarrassing or like my mum wearing a sari to a formal school event. Mm. Like I suppressed that. I said, don't do that. And then I just had this realisation that that's actually really cool. That's part of who I am. And I'm obsessed. I love my culture. And I wanted to bring that in to my makeup looks. And so I do bring it in quite a visual way Indian culture is bright, bold. It's all mm. about adorning yourself. And I think, yeah, it very much ties into like maximalist self-expression. It just really made sense for me. In a few short years, India will be the most common place of birth outside of Australia and that's overtaking England for the first time ever. Do you think Australia is ready to em- embrace its South Asian links? As you say, for you growing up, it felt like you needed to assimilate or to suppress it. Do you see things shifting? Oh, 100%. I, not fast enough, but I think it, it is shifting. I think um, definitely now like Sydney and Australia has just become so much more multicultural. And I think even just through platforms like social media, I think people mm. are becoming a little bit more like aware of like that interlinking of culture and how everything kind of blends in a, like a seamless, beautiful way. I hope it moves in that direction faster. Uh, one big thing I've noted in the makeup industry is a push for better representation of shades and skin colour and the different sorts of people who use makeup. From what I see, and I wouldn't say I'm the biggest makeup user or have enormous amounts of knowledge, do you feel that that representation, not only in who you see in models and whatnot, but also in the sorts of products people can get based on different skin colour and textures and different features? I think people... This is the thing. It's it's changed a lot. When I first started out in this industry, and that was like seven years ago, there was nothing. There was no one like me in the beauty industry that I can look to and be like, wow, that person's doing, like, she looks like me and we're doing the same thing. There was nothing. It's definitely gotten better, but I think it's gotten better in a very superficial type of way. I think people are trying to improve the diversity in a front-facing type of way. The diversity needs to happen in the back end, like in the actual mm. teams and people who are making decisions. I think that's when you'll see real change and authentic diversity. But it's like I went to the shops the other day and I was in Woolies and I was looking at the makeup section and, again, three or four shade ranges for a foundation and none of them are dark. Like nothing's actually changing. I think people want to say that they're doing better, 
but when it actually comes to people shopping for shades that they need, it's it's still not there. If you go though, I see your point about you know, mm. Coles or Woolies, but if you go to like Sephora a, or Meyer or DJs yeah. or Christian Dior or one of the makeup brands, I think it's still kind of the same issue because it's about shelf space and these brands, like you know, you've got your Fenty Beauties coming out with what they're like fifty plus foundation shade range, which is amazing if it's stocked because mm. you're going to Sephora and it's, nothing is in stock. Everything's yeah, out of stock. right. Yeah, so it's like it's there. It's happening. People are making change and they're doing really, really well in that department. But when it comes to like actual people purchasing product or making real decisions that are going to, you know, affect, yeah, the customer base, it's it's not happening fast enough. But I'm not complaining. I just think it needs to happen. It's interesting here. Faster. It's interesting here is, you know, you're reclaiming I'm brown, I'm proud, and mm. um, I'm seeing this echoed across different communities, African communities and other black communities. And then I was in India last year and what I noted was quite different to what's here because mm. there was still a huge amount of colorism. And there was a, so many billboards for like fair and lovely mm. and skin whitening. And mm. I was just like, oh, this is... It's this actually is... jarring when you see it yeah, because it you think, we think we've moved past that. That was a thing of the past. That was something that like our parents and grandparents were pushing. But no, it's still very much prevalent. And you've got a lot of big Bollywood actresses who are using these products, unfortunately, and they have mass influence over their audience. Mm. But we just don't we don't get that type of media here. So it's very like detached from us. But when you go to India, like they're still pushing that. What's it like for you seeing that given that's kind of opposite of everything you advocate for? And obviously you live in an Australian society and it's a different context, but these are also your cultural roots. It's it's disappointing. Mm. It's really disappointing. Again, it's like, I thought we moved on from that. And then you see people like yeah, some Bollywood actresses that I really look up to and I are, are using this product and and it's 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 sad because they wouldn't be in the industry if their skin wasn't there. If you look at all the actors, their skin is so 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 fair. And it's insane because I've experienced colorism, you know, and it's really young. It's little comments like don't go out in the sun mm. for too long because you might get too dark and that's really frustrating and then, you know, but it almost makes sense. I'm like, I can see why people have been saying that to me because that's how they've grown up and it's still prevalent. It's a bit of a colonial hangover. Yeah. Oh, exactly right. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, I came across a Disney princess collection you did, which is essentially you recreated all the iconic Disney princesses, but if they looked like you. Mm. Um, so I want to know what the feedback was, given loads of people just recently lost their marbles because Ariel in the latest film was cast as a black young woman. People don't like change. Right? They get really upset by mm. change and things that they've grown up with. It's like you're messing, you're playing with like the original. And the feedback was amazing because I w it resonated with my audience who mm. are people like me, um, South Asians or people of colour who are living in like, you know, Canada, US, Australia. So it was a great, I got really good reception, but I think the pushback was, what's the point? Why reimagine? Because they don't understand what it means to see Cinderella as a brown woman. Like that has impact for me. It has impact for like everyone 
who looks like me and my friends. And we want to see that because we haven't been able to see that. We don't have that representation. So it's just fun to reimagine. And I did the same thing with Euphoria. I was like, I reimagined a character. If she was like, if there was a South Asian Euphoria character and she was like really cool and she like wore lots of bindis and lots of gems and people like, well, there isn't a South Asian character. So it's like, I know. Yeah, yeah. But can we just please use our imagination or just have a bit of fun with it? Or they'll be like, there already is a brown character. Her name's Zendaya. I'm like, yes, but South Asian, like different. Mm. Yeah. Similarly, with, I mean, I know we're here to talk about beauty and makeup, but yeah. I, as, you were to- as you were talking about Disney and reimagining characters and reimagining historical times, Bridgerton is something that also mm. stood out to me. I mean, I really devoured it um, and I enjoyed it, even though I knew, know in those power structures and in those hist- you know, historical moments, mm. people with immense wealth didn't hold those positions and they weren't Indian. Yeah. How did you respond to that? I sort of? loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I think Bridgerton is a really great example of like inclusion in media and like mainstream media because what's that actress's name? Simone Ashley did such an incredible job. She's so good. I think people were in awe of this brown woman. Like, wow, she's incredible. She has so much poise and grace. And again, people are and reimagining. Beautiful. beautiful. I think that's mm. the thing. She, again, if on the topic of like colorism, she is like she has darker brown skin and people are looking at her like she's the most beautiful mm. woman in the world and we need that like our community needs that and again the reimagining is so important for like younger women who are looking to this and thinking hey that could be me too like it's so important representation. Research has shown that Gen Z's also influencing the way like manufacturers consider gender inclusivity and also the environment. What's what sorts of things are you seeing and hearing from your followers about the sort of sort of messaging and the sort of ethics they want their product manufacturers to have? I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think people even like recently I think brands don't usually do this, but I think people are demanding brands to almost have a political stance as well. They, mm. we, I think they want brands to have morals. They want to see people behind the brand rather than just like a capitalism machine. Um, I think environmental factors are a huge one. I think people are really careful where they shop. And I think um, if brands aren't conscious, if they're not environmentally conscious, then you've kind of lost, you've kind of, you're going to lose interest of a lot of like Gen Zers. That's what I see. And, and just diversity. I mean, if there's a campaign and you've got like a bunch of white women like promoting a beauty product, it's like you're going to get a comment about how lack, like how lacking that is and how you've just missed the mark. I'm, I see it all the time. It's and, the first thing people see. <laughs> and, and beyond getting, you know, perhaps public outrage or a few negative comments on social media, are people voting with their hip pockets as well? Because as you mentioned, this is a capitalist machine. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing people buying or only wanting to buy products or perhaps even with you, only wanting to collaborate with brands whose ethics you believe in? A hundred percent. I think it also ties into this whole trend of de-influencing. It's like people coming onto TikTok and social media to be like, we're not supporting this brand because X, Y, and Z. And then everyone being like, wait, you know, you're right. Their value, this brand's values don't align with my own. So why should, should I put my money there? There's almost this like wave of boycotting which is so powerful because it has real change in effect like it's actually affecting these brands when people come together um with their joint morals and like withhold 
money from certain companies. Uh, so your posts are obviously very gorgeous and very glamorous. Does that mean you can ever just post a story where you're looking like tired and I always disheveled? Do that. Or you do as I well? I always do that, yeah, yeah, 100%. Because like... I'll post stories of like, you know, when my skin isn't looking the greatest because I've got like problem skin. And I think that's really important for people to see. They can go on my feed Mm. and almost look at this visual portfolio of my looks, but then they can go on my story or even my TikTok sometimes and see like a more raw version of myself. I do always lead with my art though, because um, I always think there are two different types of creators, the personality creators Mm. and then the creatives. I fall into the creative basket. So I'm not here like you know, boring my soul and telling everyone Mm. about me. But I will show aspects of me that make me me. Yeah, I think it's really important. Given that, as you say, your greed is definitely your portfolio, do you get stifled or do you find you get artist's block in in terms of continually coming up with things? I, I never get artist block. I don't. I just, my brain is constantly like churning and like thinking and, and brainstorming new looks. I, I think I struggle to find the motivation to create the looks. Yes. I've got yeah, I've got all the looks. I've got it takes like, work. It, it takes work. Yeah. I can come up with the with the idea in like two seconds, but when it comes down to actually sitting down and executing, I feel like that's the hardest part. Mm. Yeah. And what's it like obviously doing so much online? We know spending too much time online is not good for our self-esteem, mm. not good for our physical health, our mental health. Have you figured out ways to set boundaries? I think this year, especially, I've realised how much of an effect just being on TikTok, because Instagram never affected me because it was very curated and I would only Mm. jump on for a little bit, have a bit of a scroll and jump off. But TikTok sucks you in. It's Mm. like a tornado of content and like you could be scrolling for ages and that can really affect, um, that can affect creativity. I think if you're comparing yourself to others online, it's going to affect creativity. So this year I've decided less time scrolling and more time feeling inspired, honestly. like What does that look like? What does feeling inspired Changing look like? platforms even, like yeah. going on Pinterest instead right. of TikTok and using my own like creativity to inspire looks rather than other looking at what other people are doing because then you start doing this thing where you go, I'm not doing that, I should be doing that and then that doesn't feel authentic to me anymore. So in addition to spending less time on TikTok, what else is in store for you this year? This year, I'm going back to basics. I'm kind of recalibrating everything that I've learned over the past couple of years because I've worked with a lot of brands. I've worked with all the makeup brands and I want to refine what my creativity looks like. I want to upskill. I want to maybe like take my medium to like a canvas and see what Mm. that looks like. I want to be more, yeah, I want to be more creative and I want to learn more like artistic skills. I want to slow down in in certain ways, but then speed up in other ways because I think I've been very career driven and very like, what's next and which brand am I going to work with next and like, what's the like, how can I top that collaboration? That doesn't serve me anymore. That doesn't actually fulfil me, and so I'm going yeah back to basics, focusing on my creativity. So you're obviously a beauty influencer, but you've diversified. What's the key to finding success when you're dipping into lots of different areas like decor and other aesthetics? I don't have a business, but I have a separate page called Rowie's Home where I like curate and find pieces for my home and like it's very colourful and it's very much reflective of like me. And what like on that point, what I realise is that I don't have to be a makeup artist. I can be creative in different like disciplines and different like verticals. Um, and 
I have a core brand. I have like this Rowy Singh brand that like moves between fashion, makeup, art and home decor. That's what I've built over these years. It's not just about makeup. Mm. Um, and I can take that like wherever. It's like a very like intrinsic aesthetic that I'm like able to build and people can be like, that's Rowie's style. I think that's what I've worked on building. I think for like aspiring creatives as well. Like I think that's what you should focus on. Like what is your personal branding? Don't pigeonhole yourself into like one thing. What can sort of carry across like multiple, yeah, verticals, if that makes sense. Well, if they're as talented as you, yes. (laughs) Multiple verticals, dominate everything and just be super creative. But that's the thing, like it's... It's all branding. When you jump online and someone, you know, is doing like a story time about like something crazy that happened in their life, it you're watching, you're entertained because it's how they're like speaking and how people have branded themselves. There are some people who are like have millions of followers that I quite don't understand have millions of followers, but they have as such a specific brand and such a specific audience that people love them. Mm. I think that's what's really important. It's even beyond just like being really, really talented and skilled. And that's what holds people back from creating themselves because they feel like they need to have something. It's like, just get on there and build your brand, like be yourself. And that's how you're going to like build a platform. Indian-Australian artist and beauty influencer who's based in Sydney, that is Rowie Singh. And if you want to check her out on TikTok or Instagram, her handle on both is the same. It's at Rowie, which is R-O-W Singh, S-I-N-G-H, at Rowie Singh. It is time for the weekend list. My producer extraordinaire, Helen Smith, is in the studio she always comes up with strange things that she likes and recommends. I try not to judge her every <laughs> strange. week. Strange. I mean, some of them are strange. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm here with an open mind, though. <laughs> yeah. This week I'm here with an open mind. Helen, what have you got in store? My first recommendation is World of Secrets Season 2 called The Disciples by BBC, and it's about this Nigerian pastor, TB Joshua. Mm-hmm. So he's the leader and founder of a synagogue church called All Nations, like it's this mega church in Africa. Isn't a synagogue and a church two different things? Well, it says founder of synagogue church of all nations, a Christian mega church. Synagogue church of all nations. Sounds like it's just like whacked everything so together. So it is a cult, Antoinette. Okay, okay. It's just like, <laughs> it sounds like a bit of appropriation of Judaism because I'm synagogues. Yeah. Okay. Jewish. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Look. I didn't I didn't make the call. You're not a cult leader. <laughs> I'm not a cult leader. <laughs> okay, okay. But it's really well produced. The first bit of the podcast is literally journalists getting shot at by members of the church, like the guards of it. So it draws you in straight away. Some of the stories are sad, frightening, unbelievable to be honest. Some of them some of the people spent up to 14 years in this cult since the age of like 19 years old. So yeah. it's kind of unbelievable, but you really get drawn in and yeah. I I couldn't recommend this enough. If you love cults, this is for you. <laughs> I love cults. How's that for a marketing pitch? If you like cults, you might like to try this doona. It's that's hilarious. If you like cults, definitely a demographic. Oh. Well, I don't like cults, okay. but I do like. I don't like cults. <laughs> anyway, I know I did start this off saying I wasn't going to judge you. It's not going very well. But I do like nostalgia watching and I have been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine 
even though I've seen it before. It's a comedy from the US for anybody who's not familiar. Yes, it is a cop show, but it's so not a cop show because they're terrible police officers and it's really about the characters and not the police. But I've been nostalgia watching after Captain Holt, one of the main characters, um, just recently died of um, cancer, form of cancer, but it was pretty aggressive and he died pretty quickly. Um, That's the actor Andre Keith Brower. He is hilarious as a stone-faced leader who shows... Oh, his character is just wonderful. And it's quirky and it's fun and I much prefer quirk than cults. So that is my recommendation this week. We do love hearing from our listeners and each week we love to read through the recommendations you send through about what you're watching, eating, doing, seeing and everything in between. Morning Wars has come through. Have mm-hmm. you seen that on Apple? I've seen season one, I think. I haven't got the rest because Apple subscription. So, uh, you know, oh, right. Expired. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. We'll, we'll get there. Season two, I won't say it's as good as season one, but it's still really excellent. And in my yeah. opinion... I think this is Jennifer Aniston's best work. Oh, same. Everyone says that. Everyone is saying that. She's brilliant. She's killing it. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, The next one we have is a book. It's called Life with Picasso by Francois Gillot. Far less highbrow. Another recommendation that's come through is reading trash mags. I Mm. actually really enjoy doing that and I enjoy doing it at the hairdresser or in the doctor's waiting room. And I don't care if the magazine is four and a half years old because it's hilarious and fictional because the chances are they're not real. Yeah, they're not (laughs) pregnant for a third time again. And so I'm like the older, the better. Mm, Um, So I'm really enjoying Trash Mags. And then the last one we've got is Griselda on Netflix, which I have also binged this and can recommend. Really good. It's starring um, Sophia... Vigaris. Vigaris, yes. yes. Um, from Modern Family, which we all know and love her, but this is her in a completely different light as oh, a drug lord. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that. And, yes, they're trying to make her, like, look a bit rough around the edges and not hot. Mm. They're not succeeding because she's still, like... She's still somehow looks sub- amazing. <laughs> she's still, like, objectively gorgeous. But it is a far more sort of gritty, yeah. from what I've seen, a gritty drama and not the usual role. No, and I love her in this role. It's really, like, painting her in a new light, which I think she really deserves because... You know, when you're in a TV series, you can be pigeonholed. So I thought this was a great one too. Yeah, I think I've watched an episode or two, but based on your recommendation and our listener, I'll check out the rest of the season. But that's it from me. Thank you so much for being with us and tuning in. It's always a pleasure. If you want more of the Weekend Briefing, you can find us on the Listener app. You can download the Listener app in the App Store. Follow us there. Otherwise, you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not give us a rating and review for this super interesting interview with Rowie Singh. And, of course, you can review and rate every episode. We also love hearing about your weekend list. So send through those books, cooking recipes, TV shows you're binging, card games. Send it through. We love to hear it. And I'll be back next week. Listener.